in the summer of 2003, at the start of my freshman year at Asbury College, I attended a campus-wide summer orientation, uh, a week-long crash course on the passions, priorities, and particulars that gave shape to the college I was entering. That summer orientation not only gave me a clearer understanding of the school's DNA, it also cultivated a sense of oneness among all the students and the faculty who were there. As you might have guessed by the series banner hanging behind me and Pastor Seth also his, in his intro, we want to do something similar here at Oaks. For 10 weeks, not consecutively, we'll take a couple breaks this summer, but for 10 weeks throughout this summer, we want to and hope to embark on a topical series called Summer Orientation that is aimed at exploring the passions, priorities, and particulars that give shape to Oaks Church. Uh, Lord willing, we'll spend three weeks exploring three of our utmost passions, Jesus, community, mission. You see those words on our sign? And so a sermon will be devoted to each of those, Lord willing. Then, Lord willing, we hope to spend three weeks exploring three of our priorities. If you've been here for any length of time, you've probably seen some of these. Simplicity, authenticity, and consistency. And then, Lord willing, we hope to, sp uh, to spend three weeks exploring three of our doctrinal particulars. The doctrine of congregationalism the doctrine of election, and the doctrine of complementarianism, that is, roles for men and women in the home and in the church. These, of course, aren't the only things that give shape to Oaks, but they are significant enough for us to give them special attention. And our goal for this series is to do similarly to what my college summer orientation did. We want to foster a clearer understanding of what we believe and what we practice and why. And we also want to cultivate, Lord willing, a deeper sense of oneness and unity among us. Now, pastors Ed, Seth, and myself did not come up with the passions, priorities, and particulars ourselves. We believe that scripture teaches and upholds these things and that's why we need to begin this summer orientation series today by considering scripture itself namely what it is and why we submit to it now there are a litany of insightful passages that we could open up to but this morning we'll open up to and consider 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. You have no doubt heard this passage preached before because in it there is a lot to gather about what scripture is and what it does. And as we examine it this morning, I trust that it will become obvious why Scripture serves as the foundation to all that we believe and practice as individuals and as a local church. So for some quick context, remember with me, uh, 
that the book of 2 Timothy was originally a letter which was written by the Apostle Paul just before his execution in Rome. He wrote this letter to a young pastor named Timothy as a sort of last will and testament chock full of personal and pastoral instructions. In chapter 1, among other things, Paul reminds Timothy to stand firm in the gospel message despite persecution and suffering. In chapter 2, Paul urges Timothy to remember and to unashamedly preach the gospel message. And in chapter 3, Paul urges Timothy to hold fast to biblical doctrine, to sound teaching, because a lot of bad teaching was beginning to infiltrate the church at Ephesus where Timothy was serving as a pastor. And so it's kind of on that note, it's in that line of Paul's thinking that we come to our passage. And actually, I'd like to start reading at verse 14, and I'd invite you to follow along as I read 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, that is Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Say a word of prayer with me, would you? Yes, Father, we do believe this is your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that in the same way that you breathe this word out, that you would speak to our hearts, convict and conform us, encourage us, lead us to repentance that receives the forgiveness of Christ and lead us into a life transformed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Edify us and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I have shared this story before. Uh, During summer breaks from college, I worked as a household staff member for a very wealthy man in Columbus. And one day, as I was removing a framed painting from his living room wall, an elderly woman came in to tell me that what I was holding in my hands was a Picasso masterpiece worth millions of dollars. And she knew so because as Picasso's former apprentice, she had watched him paint it with her own eyes. I have no idea why they let me touch that, uh, but they did. It's in the trunk of my car. No, it's not. In the passage that we have just read, 
the Apostle Paul, who was an eyewitness of the risen Christ, is communicating to us something way more profound. The Bible that you and I hold in our hands is the written word of God. Over the course of 1,500 years, the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New were breathed into writing by God. That is, through the pens of men who had their own personalities and styles and genres of writing, that is, through their pens, God communicated in writing all that he wanted us to know and believe and do. We therefore must regard Scripture as totally necessary and clear and sufficient and authoritative. It serves as the foundation to all that we believe and practice as believers and as a family of believers who go by the name Oaks Church. And so for the remainder of our time, that will be our outline. And for any of the men who were in our, who were in our men's Bible doctrine study, you'll recognize these attributes of Scripture, although I'm putting them in a slightly different order this morning. If you're a note taker, we'll look at this. Number one, Scripture is necessary. Number two, Scripture is clear. Number three, Scripture is sufficient. And number four, Scripture is authoritative. If you scramble those words around, you can, you can come up with the word or the acronym SCAN. Sufficient, clear, authoritative, necessary. Scripture is all of these things. And of course more, but these are the main four attributes that we'll be looking at. And we're not going to meander away from our text. I believe our text actually makes these things clear. So number one, Scripture is necessary. After all, okay, so all scripture has been and is breathed out by God. God has given us his word, the Bible, because of something that Jesus makes very clear when he says this, you and I, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, food temporarily gives life to our bodies, but it can do nothing for our souls. Only the truths that are communicated by the Holy Spirit in Scripture can give life to our souls. The message of Scripture is necessary. It's necessary for our hearing and Accepting the gospel message. Look, we can gaze up into a beautiful starry night sky or we can stare into the eyes of a precious newborn baby and we can all of us come to a realization that there's no way any of this is the product of accident. There's a designer behind all of this. We don't need scripture itself to tell us that, although it does. We need scripture to tell us the whole story. To fill in all the blanks that transcend our ability to look at life and say, wow, this is not an accident. Okay, what else? 
we need scripture to tell us the gospel that we have each indeed rebelled against the triune creator God who is holy and because of it we are each awaiting imminent punishment and eternal separation from him but God the son God the Son entered this world as the person of Jesus Christ to bear and to remove the punishment. By dying on the cross and rising to life, he has reconciled to God for eternity all those who repentantly trust in him. I, I didn't get all of that by looking at a beautiful starry night sky. Scripture is utterly necessary for us to hear that message, to believe it. And Scripture is necessary for our knowing and our growing as God's people. That is, our knowing what God's will is. Did you know that we can, we can know a lot of what God's will is for us? It's right in the Word. And for growing, for growing in obedience and holiness, set-apartedness, growing into the righteousness of Christ. When Jesus returns, he's going to be looking for a righteous bride that's been walking the narrow path. And by his grace, I'll be on it and so will you. Scripture is necessary for hearing and accepting the gospel and for knowing and growing in obedience and holiness. And man, scripture is why this church stands on the convictions we do regarding gender and sexuality and marriage and abortion and injustice. And the list could go on. The love of money that is rampant Envy, gossip, drunkenness. We believe what we believe about all of these things because scripture is very clear about them. And all scripture has been and is breathed out by God. It is necessary. Scripture, number two, is also clear. The Bible's central message is clear enough that it can be understood by just about anyone. There are, of course, passages in Scripture that are more difficult to interpret, passages that have sparked disagreement among Bible-believing Christians, but the central message of Scripture that culminates in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension and reign of Jesus, that central message is clear enough. It can be understood by virtually anyone. But not everyone understands it to the degree that they submit to it. And there is a reason for that. Second Corinthians or First Corinthians 2.14 explains why. The natural person, Paul writes, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because the things of the Spirit of God are folly to him. The natural person is not able to understand the spiritual things of God because they are spiritually discerned. In this verse, the natural person of whom Paul speaks is the person who has been born in and under the curse of sin. <laughs> All of us, 
left to ourselves. In and of our sinful selves, none of us arrives on the scene able to understand Scripture to the level, to the degree that we submit to it. But it's not because Scripture is unclear. Scripture is clear. It's not because Scripture is unclear when we have very intellectual people staring at it and studying it and refusing to submit to it. It's not because Scripture is unclear. It's because new birth is in order. They have to be born again. They have to be born anew by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. The natural man needs to become a spiritual man. He needs to be spiritually given a new heart and new mind. He needs to spiritually be given eyes to see. He needs to spiritually be awakened apart from his own willpower. Then and only then will the natural man who has been born anew by the Holy Spirit, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, then and only then will he spiritually understand and submit to Scripture. So here's a moment of praise. Uh, do you understand the clear message of Scripture and submit to it? <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, guess what? You can't boast about that uh, because you didn't do it. <laughs> you weren't smarter than your neighbor. I mean, in my case, I was a lot less smart than my neighbor, and yet here I am. Hallelujah. You have been born anew. If the gospel resonates with your soul, if you've been cut to the heart by the message of Christ, and you imperfectly but growingly yearn for him, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Scripture is clear. And number three, Scripture is sufficient. Sufficient for communicating all that God wants us to know and do as His people. The Apostle Paul tells us as much in our passage this morning. Look back down. Scripture, which, okay, remember, Scripture has been breathed into writing from the mouth of God and can be clearly understood because we have been born again by the Spirit of God, Scripture, look, is profitable. That is, it is altogether effective, fruitful, and instrumental in its ability to teach, to form, to train, to complete and to equip us for every good work stemming from every right belief. That's amazing. Scripture is amazingly and profitably sufficient to little by little, day after day, shape our thoughts and our attitudes and actions as individual followers of Jesus and as a church family. The thing about this just really struck me as I was preparing this week. So few professing Christians actually believe in the sufficiency 
of Scripture these days. There is so little faith in God's word today at large that little priority is given to God's word. And it's no wonder that so many professing Christians have no idea what God's will is, no idea how to live rightly and wisely in these dark days. And yeah, the sun's coming out out there, but it's dark. I mean, Dare we turn on the news for 10 seconds? Sweet mercy. Even though the word of God is alive and active, it cuts to the soul and it guides the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts, so many professing Christians and churches today are opting instead for inspirational thoughts and motivational tips. I heard recently about a sermon series, my church, I'm not dragging them through, the, well, I am saying that this is foolishness, so here we go. The title of the series was Discovering the Champion in You. And the story of David and Goliath was mentioned for like three seconds, and then the rest of the series was devoted to motivating the church members to become more successful and influential and happy. Now, man, be, Lord, sober us by this. Don't let us be arrogant about this. Thousands upon thousands of professing Christians are gathering around teaching like that every single week. And apart from God's intervening grace, his mercy, I'm afraid, and Lord protect us from this, I'm afraid that many of those thousands upon thousands that are tickling their ears with fun teaching, I'm afraid that they will be in the crowd of people who say to Jesus on the last day, Lord, look at all the stuff we did in your name. But he will say, depart from me. You never responded to my voice. You never obeyed the will of my father, which is laid out perfectly clear in that book that you never got around to reading. Spare us from that, Lord. Scripture is sufficient for communicating all that God wants us to know and do as his people. And that's why at Oaks we, we strive imperfectly, but we are striving to be immersed and saturated in Scripture. Look, little by little, each day, we use tools like the Dwell Bible app to keep ourselves immersed in scripture. Our community groups throughout the week keep us huddled around scripture. Our liturgy on the fronts of your bulletin keeps us focused on scripture. The words of the songs we sing are either directly quoted from or heavily referenced by scripture and our sermons, even when they are topical such as this one, are expositional in nature in that the purpose of the sermon is to expose the main point of a passage of scripture and then apply it to our lives. And we do this by God's grace 
because we believe that, well, we believe what is being written here, that scripture is effective for teaching us and forming us and training us and completing us and equipping us for every good work. So scripture is sufficient. And finally, scripture is authoritative. I'll use an illustration here. As a teenager, when my dad or my mom would leave me a written note at home, I knew that if I disregarded their written word, it would be no different than disregarding them face to face. Because their written word carried the same authority as their spoken word. And the same is true of God's word. Sola Scriptura. For those of you who know Reformational theology, Scripture alone holds the highest authority, higher than the Pope and priest and president, higher than the lofty science of the day and progressive society, higher than all of our emotions and feelings and preferences and traditions and technology. Scripture is authoritative because it is breathed out by he who is the utmost authority. It's his written word. I'm so, I've had, okay, I gotta calm down. (laughs) This growing trend in 21st century American churches where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I want to follow Jesus. Not necessarily his word, because his word says some things about people that are really hard to stand on, but I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, you're not. If you don't follow what Jesus says in his word, if you don't obey this, you're not a follower of Jesus. And we are all very imperfect in this, by the way. But by God's miraculous grace, by his empowering Holy Spirit, we are eking by, by his grace. And he'll finish what he started in us. But my goodness, let's not divorce Jesus' word from Jesus' work as a person. One and the same. He is the incarnate word, after all. (sighs) All right. Get down from my soapbox now. Oh, I can't really... Do that. I get paid to be on a soapbox, I suppose. <laughs> Scripture is authoritative because it's been breathed out. It is breathed out by he who is the highest authority. And everything that is in this word has proven true, complete, and perfect time and time and time again. And as such, we submit to it. We submit to God's word. Brothers and sisters, at and as Oaks Church, we submit to scripture as our lamp and our light. We submit to scripture, which the Holy Spirit wields to wisely teach us what is true, to mercifully rebuke us in our sin, to graciously correct our course on the narrow path, to train us, complete us, and equip us with everything that we need for living, walking, and working in righteousness. A righteousness, by the way, that is not ours. It doesn't begin here. It begins with Christ imputing it to us and now we get to grow up into it. It's why, again, we believe and practice what we do about gender. There are two. 
It's why we believe and practice what we do about sexuality. Homosexuality, the practice of it, is as disgraceful a sin as the heterosexual man who is absolutely addicted to pornography and unfaithful to his wife and or using sex outside of the covenant of marriage. Both are abominable. Marriage between one man and one woman. And the one can't become the other, and the other can't become the one, because, well, actually, we believe in the roles that God has given to men and women as beautiful and distinct and compatible to work together, to complement each other. We believe what we do because of Scripture about abortion, the absolute murder that it is, we also believe that it would be inherently sinful for the church to turn a blind eye to all of the needy mothers out there and orphans. And we believe what we do and practice against injustice of all forms. It's why, in submission to God's word, hopefully this has set a bit of a foundation for the remainder, Lord willing, of this sermon series here are the titles of the sermons that, Lord willing, will come. In submission to God's word, it's why we proclaim Jesus. We practice community. We permeate mission. We promote simplicity. We prioritize authenticity. We pursue consistency. We participate congregationalism. We prize election. We personify complementarianism. A lot of P's there. Floating in a sea of peas this summer. That is not good. Don't remember that one. <laughs> and all of the serious words that I have said today have just gone out the window because, because I went off the dang manuscript. Why do I do that? <laughs> Our summer orientation series has to begin where we have begun today. Because our passions, priorities, and particulars emerge from Scripture. God's necessary and clear and sufficient and authoritative word. It is all of those things for all that we believe and all that we do as individuals and as a local church. So as congregants, especially I'm looking at you members, can we together, by the Holy Spirit's enabling have our hearts opened to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and be reminded of the absolute gift that we hold in our hands. May we dwell in it a little bit each day and be shaped by it a little bit each day. May our community groups huddle around it each week, Lord willing. May we read through it and memorize it in our liturgies every single week. May you hear it preached and if you stop hearing it preached, if, you, if, 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 if the word is not being preached from up here, we are a congregational church. Shut it down. And may we continue to do so to Repent for how little we often regard this. To trust that God's Holy Spirit wants to ignite or reignite a fervor for the word in writing. May we obey it and be shaped by it as men and women of a local fellowship. For it doesn't matter what's going on in the greater, the, the, the greater area of Worcester. We submit to scripture. And we will. 
And the Lord will finish what he has started here in us to his glorious grace. Would you pray with me? And then I'm going to sneak over and play another song or two. Well, Father, I just need to be reminded of the absolute treasure trove that sits in my hands when I hold your Bible, when I hold your word. I pray that if my brothers and sisters can relate that you would do that in us and that there would be a a reigniting of, of passion to listen to it, to read it, to to meditate on it, to, to, to read, reflect, and respond, that we would be doers and not just hearers. And yet we're going to have disagreements, but your central message is clear, and a lot of other components are super clear, and in that we can absolutely stand as unified as you do a work in us together collectively. You are faithful to do this, and so we lift up our voices together and we sing of how great your faithfulness is. In Jesus' name, amen.